Welcome to this sermon podcast from Myo Baptist Church, and thank you for listening to today's message. We pray that God's Word will be an encouragement to you and a reminder that the Bible has all the answers to living a successful and fulfilled life. Again, thanks for listening. We now join the service in progress. The lesson tonight, based on Joshua chapter 10, life after salvation. Life after salvation. We want people to be saved. We practically plead with people to be saved. We share our hearts with people in order for them to be saved. And the question, a legitimate question might be, what is life like after salvation? And we have to be careful. One of the things I appreciate is that the Bible gives us a very accurate picture of the blessings of being saved but at the same time of the challenges of being saved. And there are both blessings, and we have to be honest, and the Bible is very clear. There are challenges that come with being saved. And the opinion you have about what life is after salvation can make you or break you. For example, if you think that when you get saved, you're going to move to 207 Easy Street and everything's going to be fine you're going to find out not necessarily so. In fact, not even likely. Now, if you so, you know, some people have the wrong impression. Well, if I get saved, it's going to be all terrible. It's going to be all drudgery. And, well, I, you know, I'm going to have to be a missionary and go to Africa and live in a grass hut and eat bugs and whatever. You know, that might keep you from being saved. If you don't understand, if you don't have a biblical view, a well-balanced view of what life after salvation is all about. If you have the wrong view, it could come back to hurt you. Now, a lot of people do have the wrong view. And one, one view that too many Christians have about life after salvation is that it's going to be pretty much easy street. And there are preachers that preach that. And they're known as the prosperity gospel preachers. There's a whole genre, if you will, of preachers out there in the country today, that are known as prosperity preachers. Can you name one? Joel Osteen. Okay? Now, is he preaching and teaching an accurate view of Bible Christianity and what it means to be saved? Let let me read you this. I'm going to read. This is a, a definition of prosperity gospel, which a lot of people believe. Okay? Prosperity theology is a religious belief among some Christians who hold that financial blessings and physical well-being are always the will of God for them, and that faith, positive speech, and donations to religious causes will increase one's material wealth. Prosperity theology views the Bible as a contract between God and humans. If humans have faith in God, he will deliver security and prosperity. The doctrine emphasizes the importance of personal empowerment, proposing that it is God's will for his people to be happy. Well, I guess Paul was out of God's will a lot. I guess, according to this, the apostles were out of God's will a lot. Because, to my knowledge, they pretty much all died paupers. But yet, they're is an enormous group of people that believe these preachers that are teaching that. And after a while, 
when they come to understand the truth of life after salvation, they may be discouraged. They may be disappointed. It's important to have a proper view of life after salvation. And I believe that Joshua chapter 10, in this narrative, in this story, gives great insight to what it means to be a Christian. Let me give you chapter 10 overview. In verses 1 through 5, Adonazedic, king of Jerusalem, makes a pact with four other kings to attack Gibeon because of their treaty with Israel. Now remember, quick review, the children of Israel wandered in the desert 40 years. Now they've crossed over the river Jordan. They've done battle with Jericho. They've done battle with Ai. And the Gibeonites, who they're supposed to destroy, makes a pact. They use deceitful means to make a pact with Israel and Joshua, but they do. And Joshua honors that pact. Now, a lot of theologians that I've read in preparation for this believes that the Gibeonites were not just doing this in self-interest, but they had a real change of heart. A lot of them believe that the Gibeonites were, 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 became believers, and they were on board. It was more than just a pact. They, they really believe, and that's important to the story. In verses 6 through 15, Joshua comes to the rescue of Gibeon, okay? Gibeon joins up with Israel, and now Gibeon's old buddies, old friends, are coming after them. So Joshua comes to the rescue. He's going to honor his pact with them, comes to the rescue of Gibeon, and with the Lord's help of making the sun stand still, defeated the enemy alliance that had come against the Gibeonites. And then in verses 16 through 28, we have the story, the narrative of the five kings are captured and executed. And in verses 29 through 43, Joshua, uh, it it describes his conquering of southern um, Canaan. Now, there's a lesson here. These Gibeonites... Let's just assume they have a true change of heart. And they join up with Israel. And they become believers. Then they get attacked immediately. The lesson here, I think, is that peace with God often means war with the world. Peace, you make your peace with God. Oftentimes, that will then mean war with the world. Gibeon joined Israel in serving the Lord. In this, Gibeon's farmer friends, his good, their good buddies, turned on them and attacked them. I like this quote. Upon no other enemy does the world turn with such rage and resentment as upon those who desert their ranks to join the Lord's host. Would you reread that again? Because what I'm going to give you tonight is not a pie-in-the-sky prosperity gospel uh, view of Scripture because that's not an accurate view of Scripture. There's no way. And I really believe most of the people that Joel Osteen influences are people that really don't know their Bible. They're desperate people looking for something, and they are praying. Men like him are praying on their shallow understanding of Scripture, their desire to want a better life, I can understand. The desire for prosperity and good health, well, sure, that's, that's normal. But that's not what the Bible teaches. So when you do come to the Lord, a, a, a true understanding is God may bless you. God may bless you materially. He may bless you physically, but he may not. You know, you, you may go through some good times. You may go through some bad times. That's, that's Scripture. Uh, what happens here, this is, a sim, this is symbolic. When, when Gibeon turns to Israel 
and then their old friends turn against them is symbolic of former friends turning on someone who has become a born-again Christian. Let's read the story. We're not going to read the whole chapter. We're going to read down the verse number 15. You can follow along on the screen behind me. Here's the story. Now it came to pass when Adonazedek, king of Jerusalem, had heard how Joshua had taken Ai, they defeated them, and had utterly destroyed it, as he had done to Jericho and her king, so he had done to Ai and her king, and how the inhabitants, here it is, of Gibeon, had made peace with Israel and were among them, that they feared greatly, because Gibeon was a great city, as one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai, and all the men thereof were mighty." Wherefore Adonizedek, king of Jerusalem, sent unto Horam, king of Hebron, and unto Piram, king of Jarmuth, and unto Japhiah, king of Lachish, and unto Deborah, king of Eglon, saying, Come up unto me and help me, that we might smite Gibeon. Remember, Gibeon was formerly one of the good old boys. He was part of their alliance. What are they guilty of? They've joined up with Israel. They've joined up with Joshua. And many of the theologians I've read said they really believe that they became believers. That we may smite Gibeon, for it hath made peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel. Therefore the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, the king of Eglon, gathered themselves together and went up, they and all their hosts, and encamped before Gibeon and made war against it. Here's Gibeon coming to Israel, coming to Joshua. So now they're at 607 Easy Street, right? No. They've turned to the... Jehovah God. They've become allied with Joshua. They have come under Joshua's authority. They are basically servants now, but they are, they're, they're part of it. And they're being attacked. I think a lot of people can relate to that. I think maybe there's people in this room who got saved and you thought maybe that everything was just going to be perfect. And sure, there's blessings, but at the same time, this gives us a realistic view of life. People that you used to run with can turn on you. They don't appreciate that. And so we're in verse number 6 now. Is that where we are? Yes. And the men of Gibeon sent unto Joshua to the camp of Gilgal, saying, Slack not thy hand from thy servants. Come up to us quickly and save us. Okay, all these other five kings are coming against them. For all the kings of the Amorites that dwell in the mountains are gathered together against us. So Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said unto Joshua, now he's talking to Joshua this time. Remember, there was a time when he didn't inquire of Joshua, I mean, of the Lord and got in trouble. But now he's talking to God. Fear them not, the Lord says, for I have delivered them into thine hand, and there shall not a man of them stand before thee. Joshua therefore came unto them suddenly and went up from Gilgal all night. And the Lord discomfited them before Israel and slew them with a great slaughter at Gibeon and chased them along the way that goeth up to Beth Horon and smote them unto Ezekiah and Micaiah. Verse number 11, And it came to pass as they fled from before Israel. Okay, here, here Joshua's come with his army. And sure enough, the Lord said, I'm going to take care of you. And these, these five kings, their armies, they're being defeated. They turn tail and run. And it came to pass as they fled before, 
fled from before Israel and were in the going down to Beth Horon, that the Lord cast down great stones from heaven upon them unto Zechariah. Uh, I mean, the Lord's going to finish them off, and they died. They were more which died with hailstones than with uh, they whom the children of Israel slew with the sword. Then spake Joshua to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Son, stand still upon Gibeon, and thou, moon in the valley of Agilon. Verse 13, And the sun stood still, and the moon stayed, until the people had avenged themselves upon their enemies. Is not this written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and hasted not to go down about a whole day till the battle was ended. And there was no day like that before it or after it that the Lord hearkened to the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. And Joshua returned and all Israel with him unto the camp to Gilgal. Let me read you this quote that gives you some insight because it's a fascinating story, but it's a story as all of these are in Joshua with a lesson. The Bible is not designed to entertain us per se. It's here to teach us and to instruct us and to help us. Listen to this quote. What a vivid picture of spiritual truth have we here. He that departeth from evil maketh himself a prey. Do you make your peace with God? That instant and by that act, you are at war with Satan. No sooner is the treaty of salvation signed than the infernal host are rallied. The ink is scarcely dry before he begins his attack. Old friends become new enemies. A man's foes are often those of his own household. One of the most discouraging things is for a Christian to get saved. And it's bad enough when his old friends come after him and make fun of him or don't want to have anything to do with him or give him a hard time or actually attack him. That's bad enough when old friends do that. But I think the most pain comes from family. Because the minute you become a friend of God, you become an enemy of the lost in most situations. And some of the most difficult situations to, uh, to deal with are those of family. Because even though they're family... If they're lost and you get saved and you start changing, you start going to church and you're in church on Wednesday night, that's casting a reproach on them that they don't like. And you don't have to say anything. You can be just as kind and loving as you want to be, but you're not who you used to be. And they know you've cleaned up your life and now you're tithing and the places you used to go, you don't go there anymore. Things you used to do, you don't do that anymore. And they see that as an attack on them, and the fact is they start attacking you. So very quickly this evening, three things that we can learn from this story. And the outline I'm going to use is not my original outline, so some of the wording, those of you that are astute, as all of you are, some of this wording isn't as I would put it. But this, I saw this outline, and I've modified it. I've changed it up. I guess I could call it my own, but I always believe in full disclosure. But this outline, I saw that that, that sums it up perfectly. That, that's the lesson that I want um, our people to have tonight. So let's look at three things real quick. Number one, though the true, though the true church is an ark of safety, She is an ark upon stormy waters. He who joins the church on earth joins the church militant and shares her dangers. A mature Christian understands that. 
The ark of the church is an ark of safety. But I love the way that's phrased. It, it does sail on stormy waters. And if you've been saved any length of time, if you've achieved some spiritual maturity, you know exactly what that's talking about here. Again, the Bible doesn't teach a prosperity gospel. And yeah, God can bless, and you, there's nothing wrong with that. But John fifteen eighteen, if the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. It's very important. If you're going to be long-term serving the Lord and living for him, you need to understand that. And if you think you're going to reside at 203 Easy Street, you know, the first time the storm winds blow, you're going to start heading for the hills. But if you understand, no, this is what I mean. There are blessings, but there are challenges as well. So it sails upon stormy waters. Understand this. While the church is fulfilling her mission to conquer the world for Christ, she will bring the hatred of the world upon all who are identified with her. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors, more abundant, in stripes above measure. This is Paul talk, giving his testimony about how life changed for him after salvation. And it isn't easy street. In stripes above measures, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews five times received I forty uh, stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep, and it goes on and on. So, how would Joel Osteen explain that, or any other prosperity preacher? So understand, uh, when you join up with the church... uh, the world's going to hate you as it hates the church. But also see this under number one. It's vain to expect to receive the advantages of religion and to escape from the cost of them. He who would win heaven must lose something on earth. Matthew 6.24, no man can serve two masters. You can't have it both ways. He will hate the one and love the other or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in mammon. I like this quote. I've given you part of the quote. I'll give it to you again and the rest of it. Upon no other enemy does the world turn with such rage and resentment as upon those who desert the ranks to join the Lord's host. Then it goes on to say, All the legions of hell are marshaled forth against the young believer who has newly signed the terms of treaty with the Joshua of the better covenant. Spiritual warfare is real, folks. I wouldn't trade being saved for anything in the world. I have achieved so many blessings. But there are challenges. And a mature Christian understands that. And a mature Christian, therefore, doesn't waver when those challenges come, no matter how hard or trying the Lord may allow. But number two, look at this. This is a good perspective tonight. The advantages of this trouble. What? Wait, the advantages? You know, all things work together for good. All trouble permitted by providence is blessings in disguise. That's why James 1-2 says, when these problems do come, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations or trials, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. There's something, if you handle it right, there's some good that's going to come from this. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. You're going to go through trials, but if you handle them right, then there's going to be good come from that. Let me give you 
some possibilities of the good that comes when a trial comes your way because you got saved or because you are saved. Let me give you some ideas of the good, if we handle it right, that comes from that. First, it serves as a test of genuineness. When trials come, you're being tested. Are you genuine in your faith? Are you committed in your faith? Or are you fake? One writer said, Worldly trouble directly arising out of our church relations proves the genuineness of our attachment to Christ by showing whether we are willing to risk danger and suffer loss for Him. It is the tough times that separate, if you will, the men from the boys. And one of the blessings of going through tough times, it will reveal those who are genuine and those who are not. But it also, there's a second blessing, and this is a great blessing right here when we go through trials. It promotes union among Christians. The Gibeonites were drawn closer to the Israelites by the threatened danger. You know, the Gibeonites, they're new to all of this, and here comes the enemy, and what did the Gibeonites do? They did the right thing. They said, oh, Joshua... You know, Israel, we we need you. And no doubt, this experience brought them closer together. So understand, one of the blessings that come through trials is oftentimes it's a trial that will bring you closer to your brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, you go through a trial, don't close up, don't, don't clam up, reach out. Don't be too proud to tell somebody you're going through a trial. It just might be that somebody else went through that trial before, and you talking to them can give you encouragement and the right perspective, and that can help you. So again, these trials that come can produce tests of genuineness. It can promote union among Christians. And it also should cultivate unworldliness. Not worldliness, but unworldliness. The enmity of the world drives us to the sympathy of God and refuge of unworldly living. When you get saved and you see how the world treats you, there can be some lessons learned there that those people aren't my friends. And it reveals their animus. It reveals their, their, their hatred. And they, they, it reveals their, an unloving spirit. And sadly, that can come sometimes from unsaved family and, and friends. And it can open your eyes to the truth where you recognize the problems with the world. And you see more clearly now the problems of worldliness now that you have been attacked by the world. So there are really some blessings to be derived as long as you handle it right. Which leads us to the last point, number three. The remedies for this trouble. What do we do? Gibeon was threatened with destruction, but on her appeal to Israel, her allies fought for her, and God secured the victory. Joshua comes to the rescue. A lot of people believe Joshua is is symbolic of Christ. They turn to Joshua. Joshua comes to the rescue. God comes to the rescue. The world stood still that day, the, the hailstones from heaven. So the remedies, when you do find yourselves in these troubles, and you will, Understand, number one, the remedy for worldly trouble arising from our religious associations will be found in mutual help. When you feel attacked, when you're wondering if you're doing the right thing, turn to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Turn to your pastor, pastor's wife, assistant pastor, 
assistant pastor's wife, deacons, trustees, the good people of this church. Don't be surprised when the world hates you. The Bible tells us about that. But understand this quote, the Christian church is a brotherhood. We are called to bear one another's burden. The Bible says we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. So, pastor, I've been blessed of God, but yeah, man, my old friends, they're giving me a rough time. My family's giving me a rough time. What do I do? Do what the Gibeonites did. Turn to Israel. Turn to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Turn to, to them. You know, again, one of the worst things people in church do is they go through problems and, oh, I don't feel like going to church. Or, what are, what are people going to say? Listen, what are people going to say? The mature Christians are going to say, I love you, I understand. They may say something like, I've been through that myself, let me help you. The immature Christians, it doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter what they say, okay? One of the worst mistakes you'll make is going through a problem and using, I can't show my face at church. I, I can't, I'm too embarrassed to talk to anybody. I, I just can't handle this. No. The Gibeonites, here comes the enemy, Joshua, Israel, we need you. And then secondly, the, rem- the remedy will also be found in the divine aid. Jesus said, I'll protect, or the Lord said, I'll protect you. And the sun stood still. And hailstones came down. John 16, These things have I spoken to you, that in me ye might have peace, and the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Turn to the Lord. Don't, don't. Worst mistake you can make is go through a discouraging time and not turn to your Christian friends and then not go to church. I just can't go to church. I just don't feel like going to church. Now, the time you don't feel like going to church is the time you need to go to church the most. And you know what? I've never, never once. How many years I've been in ministry? 43 years, I think it is. I counted up the other day. I, I know I look much younger than that, but really it's been 40, 43 years. There's been times I I haven't, for whatever reason, not felt like going to church through the years. But isn't it true, because many of you have experienced this, you're always glad you did. You are always, I didn't feel like coming tonight, but I got just what I needed, and I feel so much better going home. You turn to the Lord. Listen to this quote. They who are brought, brought into danger for the cause of God will find that God is on their side and will secure their deliverance. The real danger is to those who are fighting against God. It is safer to be in trouble with the people of God than in prosperity with the enemies. For God must and will triumph in the end, and then His people will share His victory. So what is life after salvation really like? Well, if you go by Scripture... There are times of great blessings, great peace, and great joy. But a balanced, accurate scriptural view based on verses we've read today in addition to Joshua, there are times of trials. James acknowledges that. Jesus taught that. If the world hates you, hated me first. And that balanced view will help you. That will help you to stay on course. Let me share this final Quote, I love quotes. 
It says, have you noticed that as you choose to take new spiritual ground for the sake of Christ's kingdom, many non-believers are threatened by your spiritual influence? And then it says, it was Israel's energetic commitment to obey God, to occupy the land that God had given them that triggered the violent opposition. And like Israel, every one of us who wants to be a faithful servant of Jesus Christ will face strong opposition. It's an important principle in life. Don't forget it. Have a balanced view. I think people that have been with me through the years here will will recognize the fact that's been one of my major themes. A balanced view of Scripture. Is there peace? Is there joy? Is there excitement? Yes. But are there times of satanic attack and trial? Absolutely. And you saw that in the life of Christ. You saw that in Paul's life. You saw that in the apostle's life and all the great characters of the Bible. Now, unlike lost people, because we too live in a fallen world, we got heaven to look forward to. And all that, you won't have to worry about balance. Just, hey, pass the ice cream. No, pass the brownies. We're in heaven. Life is good for all eternity. It's worth it. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that the service was a blessing to you and that you were encouraged by God's Word. If you have any questions about Mayo Baptist Church, please contact us anytime. You can find contact information on our website at myobaptistchurch.com. Thanks for listening.